0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Public Affairs. Uh, I'm Ann Guillaume. We're here broadcasting from 88.3 FM WRBH, Radio for the Blind, Reading Radio. It's another name we go by. And we're here with Joseph Dunn, again, for part two of our uh, kind of culture, Louisiana history episodes. Uh, we are a show about public affairs, so, you know, I can't think of what... Is more important to the public than knowing their own history. So um he's actually the marketing and outreach uh, director for Laura Creole Plantation. So we're gonna be talking about that historic site and he's gonna kind of be educating us. So welcome back. Bienvenue.
1: Merci. Well, <laughs> thanks so much. It's it's lovely to be here.
0: Right. Um so let's get started here. Uh Laura Creole Plantation, uh one of the I was doing a little research online, and I read, and this was nuts to me because I love these stories, that um uh, Alce Fortier, who I believe he was a, the Tulane folklorist? What's his, his he story? He was
1: the president of the American Folklore Society in the late 19th century, wow. and he was dean of the Modern Languages Department what? at Tulane.
0: Okay, so the whole American Folklore Society correct. is headed up? Wow. Correct, correct. So apparently he collected uh, the Louisiana Creole versions of the West African Rear Rabbit stories at at Laura Creole Plantation.
1: At Laura and at the surrounding plantations. Wow,
0: Correct. that's nuts. So these would be the Buki and La Pan stories. Exactly. Okay, awesome. I, it's uh kind of nuts because I remember when I was a little girl, I would hear. I don't know if you have heard uh, the the like, I can't remember the title, but it was the story of two girls who would throw these magical eggs over their shoulder. And it was like, if they'd throw it over their left shoulder, like diamonds and like all these good things would come out. And when they'd throw it over their right shoulder, it would be like whips and like frogs and snakes. And so it was such a vivid story. And I heard it a lot growing up, but I couldn't remember who had told it to me or what the source of it was. And I had been searching for it kind of all through my adulthood and come to find out it's actually one of those Buki and LaPan stories. So a Creole folktale. Yeah. It connected wow. so many dots when I found it.
1: When I found that out, well, Fauché is an interesting character because he actually grew up um, part of his childhood at his grandfather Valcour M. had the giant plantation, which is legendary. That was called Petit Versailles, which mm-hmm. is just up the river from uh, Laura Plantation. And when we drive along the river road today, what we mostly see is chemical plants. Um, yeah. There are very few of the plantations. Uh, the houses or the fields where the sugarcane was grown that are are still there and that that we can actually see what that landscape might have looked like once upon a time, but there were uh, 400 uh, approximately 400 sugar plantations between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Wow lined up and down the river um, of various sizes, Mm -hmm. so, you know, obviously not all of the houses were big, grand, uh, neoclassical mansions. Um, One
0: thing that I just kills me how often these cultural influences get uh, downplayed and, I mean, you know, blatantly erased, but then also just downplayed is how heavily influenced our culture, our local culture is uh, by just West African influences. You know, I don't know why more people don't talk about these things. Gumbo is like an African word, African dish, right? Uh,
1: Oh, gumbo is actually (laughs) the, um, it's one of the the Bantu dialects for okra. Mm -hmm. Um, And even in Louisiana, the Louisiana French language, when you talk about gumbo, G-O-M-B-O, you're talking about okra. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And, yeah.
0: So even these uh these Buki and Lapin tales, they originated in Senegal, correct?
1: They originated in Senegal and they were originally Wolof language stories, um which are comparable to Aesop's fables, for example. Yeah. In in Western culture, we're very um familiar with Aesop's fables. And so these are basically teaching stories. Okay. They're moral stories, yeah. they're creationist stories. Because yeah, these that, were
0: that was kind of the point of this story with the egg with the little girls, I think they were called uh, Blanche and Rose, throwing the eggs over their shoulder. You know, they, of course, they had one one of the girls, I can't remember if it was Blanche or Rose, one of them was kind of like a bad, and she wouldn't help old people and whatnot, and the other was good, so that was uh, the ones who would throw the eggs and get the whips and stuff would come out. That was obviously the bad girl, so...
1: Well, these are um, also comparable to the Br'er Rabbit stories, which lots of people grew up um, with in the American South. But once again, we have two different language and cultural identities going on. Um, So interestingly enough, the stories in English, in the stories in English, most of the characters eventually evolved into American animals. So you have, you know, Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox, and the Fox is the um, wily character. Mm-hmm. In French and in Creole in Louisiana, the characters remain African. Mm-hmm. But especially along the river road, Bouki, which mm-hmm. in its original Wolof sense is the hyena. Okay. Bouki eventually transforms into the village idiot.
0: <laughs> and okay. so
1: I knew um, there was actually a lady who uh, worked with us at Laura back in the in the nineteen nineties, and she unfortunately uh, passed away a couple of years ago. But yeah. when she was a little girl, she was a first language French speaker. She told me that the the village idiot, or sort of like the mm-hmm. boogeyman, um, oh, okay. was the was called the bouquet.
0: What about couchmar? Uh
1: That's from the French uh, cauchemar, yeah. which means a nightmare.
0: But uh, I mean. And I'm how do so we familiar go from Kashmar them. to Kushma? I mean, that, that almost sounds like a more Africanized pronunciation.
1: It it could be an Africanized pronunciation. I mean, mm-hmm. everything everything gets muddled and everything yeah. gets shifted with you know pronunciations and the way that we
0: yeah.
1: the way that we say things. I mean, it's you know we have that in English and mm-hmm. people don't really pay as much attention to it because we're so programmed for English yeah. that we don't hear those those slight little um, differences, um, variants, nuances. Yeah. yeah.
0: So can you kind of uh, are there any more like Senegalese influences in Louisiana that we may not be uh, aware of, where that enough attention may not be kind of called to? I think a lot of we it, tend I mean, to erase a lot of the Black cultural influences. with
1: the with the architecture, because mm-hmm. um, Laura the house was built in uh, 1804, 1805, mm-hmm. and all of the master builders were enslaved, mm-hmm. um, were from uh, descendants of the mm-hmm. original Senegalese slaves that were brought into Louisiana in the 1720s. Mm-hmm. So, um, the the architectural influencers are definitely there.
0: So, the design... Uh, yeah, the design,
1: that's uh, raised up off of the ground mm-hmm. um, to, to capture the the breezes from the river, facing the water. I mean, all of these were very, very West African influenced.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So, uh, I guess, uh, You know, we've got a lot of historic sites around here that are plantations, Uh, unfortunately. I guess you can't erase history, but—well, I guess you can, actually, because uh, history does tend to be a lot of uh, blanco lies, you know, I guess you'd say. But— so, kind of tell us about some of the things that might set Laura Creole apart from some of the other historic sites. I know you guys have each have your own little kind of niche and little thing that you're. So, what, what you guys is well,
1: every every one of the historic houses that you can visit along the River Road is gonna is going to tell the history of of that particular site mm-hmm. um, from the very beginning. And Laura's been open now for 25 years since 1994. Uh, from the very beginning, our focus was Louisiana Creole, Mm -hmm. and telling the story of Creole people in Louisiana, be they white, be they black, be they mixed race, but um, people living within the, um, with under the umbrella of that linguistic Mm -hmm. and cultural identity of Creole, which set them apart from Americans. Okay. Okay. Um, And uh, what... Over time with research, uh, we have found the handwritten memoirs of the uh, great granddaughter of the founders of the plantation. Her name was Laura. She wrote all of these stories for her for her children in St. Louis in the nineteen thirties. Um
0: Okay. So yeah, I I said uh, you said Laura Creole's a lot about a lot of uh, real stories about real people. So can you kind of tell us one? One of the good real stories about a real person from that site?
1: Uh, tell you a story uh, as we tell it on uh, site. Oh, uh, do you want to hear a funny story? Do you want to hear a sad story? Do uh,
0: wanna... Why don't we do a funny one? <laughs> Let's
1: do a funny story. It's um, too rainy outside for a sad story. Yeah, it story. is pretty <laughs> rainy outside. Um, there were, um, and this is a story I haven't told in a very, very long time, Ooh, because good. our tour, our tour has, our tour has evolved. So we started doing tours in 1994, um, and I think we're on our... 14th or 15th um, interpretation mm-hmm. of the site um, because it's evolved over time based on you know more research that we've uncovered both here in the United States and in France. Um, and then
0: also probably what the public uh, can stomach, what the public is willing to hear. What the, well, exactly. Yeah.
1: What, what well, also what the public is asking for. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been very, very, always been very reactive yeah. to what our visitors are asking us questions and what kinds of things they are looking for. We've always been very, very reactive to that. But. Um, one of the things that Laura brings up when she writes her memoirs for her children in nineteen thirty six is just how very boring it was to be a child growing up on the farm out in the country. She really would have rather have been yeah. here in the city. and um at that time, the levees weren't as high as they are now. So sitting on the front gallery of the house, they could see the boats passing on the river. Um, and they would wish that the steamboats would crash into each other so that they would have a little bit of well, excitement. Is that or, the funny story? um it's 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 a little bit of an anecdote, but her we tell the story all the time when mm-hmm. kids come for, for field trips. Um, there was a traveling piano tuner mm-hmm. um, who would walk up and down the river and to the different houses and he would tune the pianos. And, you know, at that time when these traveling salesmen would come in many of these houses, there were guest rooms where the traveling salesman would spend the night. And so this guy would always be invited to dinner and they called him Mr. Pahapri, Mr. Umbrella, because he always carried a, a black umbrella. And uh, Laura writes in her memoir that he had a very, very long... Beard, um, and when he was uh, having supper, he would mm-hmm. be getting food all in his beard. And the, the fun thing for the kids was to see him use his water glass to rinse his beard. Oh my after, god! I'm... After he <laughs> uh, yeah after after he ate, and uh, so the kids obviously were to be seen and not heard at at the oh. dinner table, and so they would kick each other under the table um Giggling to to try not to laugh.
0: Got the church um, giggles. Yeah, I got the church giggles. I'll get this a lot of times when we're in this booth <laughs> trying to stifle the giggles. So any other uh good stories? Any other interesting things from kind of the material culture of the plantation? What, what how would uh the material culture of a Creole plantation differ from a a more Americanized one? That's kind of a tough question.
1: Um it evolves over time. Mm-hmm. Um Interestingly enough, if And you,
0: uh just to interject, material when I say material culture, I kind of just mean the stuff, like so the things, the you things, know, the, that, the things the that you have in your the, house, the dresses, the things that might be on your nightstand, the the furnishings, what they look like.
1: Well, the early houses when our again, it's a question of perspectives and filters and what we've been programmed to to imagine when people think of plantation houses, they think of giant neoclassical architecture. Old South, yeah. They think of Old South, antebellum architecture. Laura is the com- totally completely different. Opposite yeah, it's of very that. creole. It is. It is very creole. It's a. It's a raised even, villa.
0: Even the dress. The women have these like great earrings. All the images that you guys have of the women, their outfits yeah. are just woo. Yeah, they they're were, very lady marmalade uh, influenced. And they
1: are. They are very French influenced. Yeah, they yeah. were very influenced by by French fashion. Um, So um, it's a simple house. Mm -hmm. Um, The house is simple. The furnishings were simple because it was the farm.
0: Really, I mean, I I thought that they looked so uh, fancy and pretty. I didn't think of them as simple, but I guess like well, they they are pretty. They they they, they,
1: they are pretty, but it's it's not it's not overdone. It's not overwrought. It's not gotcha. Gotcha. um, It's not you know crazy rococo revival or ostentatious yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it was built I guess that yeah that, and there and, sense. And, and there wasn't an, obviously an evolution of of house building styles right yeah. you know because if you if you think about lara which is immediate um post colonial so it still has that very colonial um, architectural style and then you compare it to something like San Francisco which is you know 1850s mm-hmm. I mean there's been a lot of evolutions of how people approach house building and you know there's been evolutions in wealth and things like that so there's a different psychology behind the house building mm-hmm. Um, to, to show <laughs> off money and to to have all the most modern, perfect conveniences and things like that.
0: Yeah, have you ever been to the Olivier House in, uh, in Saint Martinville, my hometown? Um, it's like I bright yellow, green. green. No. Oh, great. it's great! I can great imagine that creole it's, architecture at yeah. home. Yeah. So, are there any other places in the U.S. that have a, kind of as much of a creole influence? I mean, I know maybe not as much, but are there any places that have, just have a lot of kind of creole influence?
1: Surprisingly, the state of Missouri has more French colonial architecture than does Louisiana.
0: What? And that's because all of ours
1: ours was either burnt (laughs) or destroyed by hurricanes (laughs) or torn down... Um, to build chemical plants. What
0: do you mean, like burnt in the Civil War?
1: No, like burnt. Just like the <laughs> house caught on fire because it oh, was an old house and it, and it was wood, and it just cupcakes burned. And <laughs> um, yeah, those things are tinderboxes boxes because they're built out of that old old wood, and you know, once they catch fire, there's no stopping it because it just it just do you, goes. Do you
0: know much about the uh, food that would that would have been coming out of the uh, Laura plantation back in the day? I um,
1: it was very I'm into the
0: culinary history, of culinary anthropology. Stuff. Um, they're. I know they cook a lot with the cane syrup. They're that probably cooking a thing? lot
1: with cane syrup. A lot of wild game. It was very seasonal. I mean, mm-hmm. people ate very seasonal. We call that eating organically today. Yeah. Once upon a time, people <laughs> just called it eating, yeah. right? Because you you planted your yeah. garden and whatever was in season mm-hmm. is what you ate. Um, so, you know, wild game, squirrels, mm-hmm. rabbits, fish, yeah. um, deer. Um, they were, you know, doing like most people. They would do a boucherie once or twice a year. Okay. Um, salt the meat down. So would
0: they do? Do you know those uh, rice dumplings, hot kala's, Do you ever? The West African. S- I'm not
1: sure that. I mean, I'm sure they probably were doing it in the yeah. city I, 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 on the farm. They were probably much more doing that in the city than they were on the
0: farm. Gotcha. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, I yeah. guess Laura was a little more rural. Huh? Yeah,
1: Laura's Laura's, you know, a, a day's boat ride up the river. So.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, I guess maybe uh, uh do you guys get into a lot of the enslaved narratives during your tours? Absolutely. And okay.
1: Absolutely. Do, and we always have. Yeah. Um that's been part of our our narration and our interpretation mm-hmm. since the very beginning. It's impossible to talk about yeah. Creole Louisiana without talking mm-hmm. about slavery. Mm-hmm. Um and I
0: when heard that the uh Creole the Creole slaves uh brought the term okay to the US. That's actually originates it was like a West uh West African term. Really? Um and then I've I noticed another one that often gets overlooked is how people around here say gali. I think that was uh they were saying look that apparently Regarde got shortened to ga. Gali. Look at him. Gali.
1: Well you know? Right? That makes sense. Yeah.
0: Whenever Epiphany, I was boom, whenever, boom, boom. <laughs> whenever I was younger, all my out of state cousins, whenever I'd say gali, they'd be like, uh, I think you mean gali but it's like, No, I didn't mean gali. I was trying to say gali so again, you know what? That,
1: But that could be that could just be an expression that mm-hmm. developed simultaneously yeah. in both places in different languages. Like they're, they're, well, that it happens. Well,
0: uh, I think it, it in the prologue to maybe it's Strange Tales of Louisiana by okay, Cable, Cable. I think they actually explain that really? Gah was a. Uh, oh, and then also, when I was doing my family genealogy in the St. Martinville Library, I noticed in one of my ancestors' uh, oral histories. They had a plantation called the Gali galila plantation and mm. so the ethnographer was asking him to explain that and he said that that's what all the creole the enslaved creoles would say when it when a train would pull up to the station like Gali, like galila like look at that and so they i mean it's in that ethnography interview that's what they said was the source of that phrase
1: ga is Look, Lee is yeah. him, it, or her, yeah. and La is there. Yeah, that makes sense. Gali,
0: right? <laughs> Gali. Wow. Yeah.
1: See, that's cool. Learning
0: public. We got We got a that's little learning so session cool. here.
1: Yeah, there there are so many little things like and that. And actually, that... I
0: think how you, uh, when I was asking uh, why, because here in Louisiana, we refer to our godmother and godfather as Para and Mara. Mm-hmm. And so I was asking why, because mare—the term Mara eventually faded out of fashion, and nanny became the new term for Mara, Whereas parent stayed the same, and I think it was you that actually explained nanny. Nanny was that a diminutive of mare, mm-hmm. um, so that's where
1: nanny is the diminutive of marin, which in English shifts easily to nanny.
0: So that's where that—that's another mind-blowing one. There, yeah. There, there are
1: there are all kinds of those things yeah. that we do. But coming back to the the issue of telling the stories of yeah. the enslaved people, tell me a
0: good, uh, tell me a good little story from an enslaved narrative. There,
1: um, we're constantly uncovering new things, mm-hmm. um, and because these people were very well documented, we are now able to tell full biographies of some of the men who were mm-hmm. enslaved and even some of the women who were enslaved mm-hmm. um, because we've been able to get their personal testimonies from the Civil War pension records in Washington, D.C. I, I, nothing, I and love
0: nothing more than testifying.
1: <laughs> so I, I stammer when I mm-hmm. try to imagine what that was like. Mm-hmm. And let me just set up a scenario for okay. you. Imagine that you are an, you are the widow okay. of, your you had been a slave, mm-hmm. and your husband went off to fight in the Civil War. Oof. Okay.
0: Ooh. As,
1: as Ooh. so he's recruited to go off <laughs> and fight in the Civil War, but you don't speak English.
0: Mm-hmm. Neither does he. Mm-hmm.
1: So then after the war, he comes back. You can finally get married now legally because you couldn't legally get married before the war. You can finally get married. And so you you do that. And then your husband dies. Okay. But you learn as an old woman that you can get a widow's pension as a widow of a veteran, a union army veteran of the civil war. Okay. So you don't speak English. So a white bureaucrat comes from Washington D.C. or somewhere up north, mm-hmm. who doesn't speak your language, mm-hmm. and you don't have concepts or words that he's asking you questions yeah. about.
0: Trying to make yourself understood is very, very difficult when you are, you know, a translated person.
1: And you don't, you don't know what a platoon is. Mm-hmm. You don't know what a pension is. You don't know what year you were born yeah, and this really. guy is asking you all of these questions in a language that you can't understand, and you're trying to answer to the best of your ability because and then you he determines mm-hmm. your fate, yeah, so what's happening to use a modern turn is all these people are being extremely vetted. Um, yeah. And we see that over and over and over in in the way that these reports are written from. The uh, perspective of these these bureaucrats who are who are interviewing them, and it's it's fascinating.
0: Wow, that's nuts. Any other any other like cute little funny anecdotes? Maybe that um, came from a, a, well, a slave narration.
1: There are really no funny anecdotes no? From, from the slave narrations. They're they're most of them pretty pretty heartbreaking. Um, but even within that, though, there's still telling these mm-hmm. these compare lapin stories. So there's still an element of, of resistance in in these stories because as those stories evolve, they're um becoming sort of um, vehicles to vessels. We're all yeah.
0: nothing but communicating vessels. Yeah, huh? and
1: the the stories are becoming, you know, it's 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 us versus mm-hmm. versus them. Really? Um Exactly. When you
0: say us versus them, who are you? Well, no. So, to? so
1: the so the bouquet, okay. the stupid hyena, yeah, um, in many ways sort of becomes the embodiment of the of the stupid master, right? Ah, oh,
0: perfect. I love that. The lapin, uh,
1: the rabbit, mm-hmm. is always the one who who outsmarts in the end. Okay. Um, so I try to imagine. Th- those as as resistant stories in in lots of ways.
0: Ooh, I love that take on it a resistance mm-hmm. story I know it's gonna, gonna make me appreciate these set of stories in a whole new way.
1: Oh, yeah They it's it's and when you read them in um, Creole and actually mm-hmm. you would probably really dig this on YouTube um, You can go and you can I think just do a search on YouTube for Vachery French Creole and it should pop you up to um, an older gentleman who's now uh, deceased telling some of these stories in Creole.
0: Cool. Yeah. And so you
1: s- hear him speaking exactly like, you know, he heard in these the stories native, when yeah. he was when he was a child.
0: So you also mentioned uh, this month is International Jazz Heritage Month? It is. So another thing I thought was fascinating about Laura Creole is that the family and parents of Fats Domino actually lived on this plantation.
1: They did. Um... Fats Domino's grandparents, if I'm remembering correctly, had been enslaved at the neighboring upriver plantation. And after the Civil War, there was lots and lots of of upheaval. Uh, people Man, were moving.
0: I, I wish I had a little soundbite to play the little Ain't That a Shame by Fats Domino right now. That'd be perfect. No, Fats Domino was a
1: first language Creole speaker.
0: <laughs> wow. A lot of people
1: don't so even really, he spoke I, He spoke I did that. Creole... <laughs>
0: that's interesting um
1: yeah. he was a first language creole speaker his parents um had grown up on the back section of what is uh, now Lara plantation it no longer belonged to laura's family at that point um but they moved to the city right before he was born so he was born in 1928 here in in new orleans but his family were all from from Vasheri.
0: see that's fascinating history public um so, you know, I challenge you to maybe go out to Laura Creole check out, learn some more of your history because it's truly who you are, who we are, who this city is, who this place is. Um, you know, I kind of hate that trope about, quote unquote, hidden history because, you know, just because you don't know, it doesn't mean it's it's hidden. It's out here. Um, so I hope you enjoyed kind of this intro into some maybe some forgotten history or some overlooked history, but there's a lot more out there. We have such a rich rich history. It's a shame to not appreciate it more, and not try and learn more about it. Uh, so, do you have anything else you wanted to quick touch on before we before we head out? There,
1: since we're talking about jazz, mm-hmm. one of the people that a lot, that gets a lot of times overlooked that I discovered mm-hmm. is a guy whose name was Freddie Kappar K E P P A R D, who was one of the early jazz cornetists, whose uh, mother and grandmother had both of them been enslaved at Lara Plantation, but he was one of the inspirations for Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong actually mm. called him um, the, the greatest uh, cornetist that he had ever seen. Wow. Um, but Freddie, like many other of these these people, um, you know, had a, a rather a rather tragic end. Um, but nice. um, yeah, we, we've got lots and lots and lots of stories and we can... Um, answer lots of questions and and take these things in many different directions. And why
0: don't you also uh, let people know your blog, Louisiana Perspectives. He's got some great... uh...
1: Correct. Um, My uh, blog is my personal blog is uh, Louisiana Perspectives.wordpress.com. And I have lots of stuff there that's just about French and... Uh, Creole language and culture and some other little anecdotes. Uh, He's even that, got like
0: bilingual poetry. It's, uh, great. it's great. I, well I just, said. whatever inspires me <laughs> yeah. at, in
1: the moment. Today I'll probably write about rain if I awesome. decide that I'm going to get uh,
0: From those cloud titans. <laughs> exactly. That's it. <laughs> Alright, well that's our show for today. and That was Joseph Dunn. Merci. And thank you for listening to Public Affairs on WRBH 88.3 FM and be sure to tune in every Monday at 3 p.m. and then Sundays at 8 a.m. for more Public Affairs. Uh, Don't forget, you can listen at WRBH.org or you can stream it live from our app or you can uh, catch our uh, archived episodes on SoundCloud. So stay tuned.